You're listening to the Reversing Climate Change podcast by the team at Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. This is a show about the innovators and entrepreneurs developing solutions to climate change. Do you remember these memes? This might even be a fun one to do for carbon removal of the guy in the hospital bed. It's a stock photo waking up from a coma. You'd be like, sir, you've been in a coma since 2022. It's like, oh, wow, the carbon removal industry should have taken over the whole planet by now. <laughs> Let's do one. I haven't seen it before, but I like it. We can go the other way where the person is like, we solved climate change with just decarbonization, right? And then we can make it some like prominent carbon removal person. Like that's a good one. That, that one's, that like, one's that. like ready to ship pretty much, Jason. Agreed. Um, write it down. Remember it. Put it in motion. <laughs> Do something with it so I don't forget. I saw we got one of the, our memes was used in one of Zeke Housefather's threads on the New York Times article. Did you guys see that today? No, that's cool. I talked to him a little bit. But... Huge. Can you come on yeah. the Google Newsroom? He would be great. Also, I feel like he has a good sense of humor and is also, you know, obviously quite the expert in the field. I always really appreciate his takes. And so the second, actually, this is how I found it. The second I saw the New York Times, because I was just on my iPad in the morning, drinking tea, reading the New York Times. And I saw this story. And I mean, it was like, okay, I need, I need some Twitter hot takes on this from experts in the CDR field. And sure enough, here comes a Twitter hot take. And um, yeah, you referenced one of our memes, which is always a, a warm and fuzzy feeling. Yes. Yeah, it's it's uh well it's yours. I think you I think you came in with this one, didn't you? I feel like this predated. But yeah, it's the Lion King uh enhanced oil recovery. You must never go there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because it's it's topical, you know, this whole discussion around enhanced oil recovery and CCS or CCUS. I don't know, now that's getting like New York Times attention, you know, and I feel like that's on the one hand, great. And on the other hand is maybe furthering the misconceptions about the difference between CDR and CCS or the role of CCS. And I just appreciate this kind of nuanced take that Zeke put forth to kind of balance out the piece, I thought. And um, I mean, the piece had some really good, really good and legitimate points. Um, But then I thought there were some things that needed further clarification. And I think he did a good job. Cool. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen his take on this yet, but I certainly will uh, absorb it. When I had a previous life in passing through Washington, D.C. quite a lot, a lot of my friends who worked at think tanks, the goal was always to have policy recommendations written so that when lawmakers when it, like landed on their desk and there was a bill, they would need to get caught up and you would have like the source document that they would reference to learn from. That's basically us, but for memes now. So we need <laughs> Zeke. We're making the memes. I know you make memes too. We're going to make them ahead of time for you to use in your threads. There you go. When it's appropriate to do so. It's a pretty good yeah. goal, I think. Actually, I like it. Yeah, that's really smart. And there's like a second wave or multiple <laughs> waves of like when it's relevant. Like we just kind of put it out there and it's, it could just sit on our page and when someone wants it. Didn't someone I, on, on the show recently say memes are the new white papers? Who said that? I think that was you. Are you? I, I think I agreed with <laughs> like you. Like some genius just said this. <laughs> I think you referenced somebody saying it. I don't remember, but you're right. Yeah. Oh, it was Jason. <laughs> Jason Hawkman said that. Okay. <laughs> and I said, thank you for validating my entire existence. I'm going to agree right. with you for that reason. Well, that's cool. That was a nice catch. He didn't, he didn't tag us in there. I didn't, I wouldn't have noticed it if you didn't say so, but I'm glad that we got that. 
what is, yeah, what is this from? This golf crazy golfer and like normie golfer. That's so the guy on the right is John Daly, who was like kind of got famous in the nineties and he had like a big belly and he would smoke cigarettes and like was kind of like partying off the course and was just sort of like a wild man, kind of like had a lot of fan appeal when golf was a little more like stale and kind of like stuffy, like as you can see from the photo. And then that's Tiger Woods, who is like the best ever basically and but just like maybe a little more traditional and like stuffy so it's kind of like it's sort of an attitude the difference in attitude i guess and maybe the john daly represents being a little more like legit and authentic and or something like that i don't know but it cracks me up yeah it's a great great image i've been seeing it float around do you kind of have like is it similar era and style to john McEnroe in tennis yeah kind of okay Kind of. And he he was the first guy who would like hit the ball really far, which then like Tiger Woods also did. But he he just had like kind of a different approach to the game. Another great one I saw of this uh this meme was the it was Tiger Woods was like someone who just came out of culinary school and John Bailey was a guy who worked his way up from dishy, like being a dishwasher. <laughs> like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. We could talk about the IRA, didn't that, wasn't that today or yesterday? When was that signed? I just saw some stuff about that. Yeah, that was today. That was today. Hey guys, celebrate. These moments don't come that often in climate tech. I saw a a funny negative meme about the IRA today. Let's hear it. It was was like a conversation in a tweet between two people. One person said, did you hear that we passed the free ice cream bill? That person says, no, that's amazing. When do we get our free ice cream? It says, oh no, it has nothing to do with that. It just made having dogs illegal. <laughs> I don't well, think like- if the worst they can say about it is the title is a little bit of an overstatement, then that's fine because that's such a lame criticism. I mean, I've heard that joke, you know, that kind of thing too. And it's like, all right, if there's no actual substance of it, that's a problem, then whatever, you know, you can score those points. Like who cares? Yeah, plus one. <laughs> yeah. It is, it's, I think it's, it's less a joke about the bill and more the way about how DC works though. Mm-hmm. Like you called it this thing, by the time it's done, everyone got to throw their thing into it so you could all pass it. And that's just kind of the way that it goes. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's not necessarily a criticism of that in particular, just the way laws get passed. Yeah. Making dogs illegal is, that's funny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I think they just wanted to choose the like an absurd. It's actually horrible. Yeah, pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting to see it happen, but then it it is interesting to see like the general public reaction. And I feel like in general, I'm always curious about the way people react to climate news. We've talked about this a bit before, but that there's people that kind of are always really happy, and I would argue a little Pollyannish about it, and then people who are always always just find the negative but rarely is it one or the other usually like any climate news that comes out it has a level of nuance and has pros and cons to it and you know i think a lot of people pointed out i think jason hockman pointed out like this isn't the bill that like climate advocates sat down and wrote you know like that's that's not what we ended up getting but that it's the biggest step forward you know in our lifetimes and, and it's it's worth celebrating for that reason it's funny to see the disagreement about it too, because the people I saw that didn't like it were like right of center people didn't like it very much. And then the like super far left people thought it didn't go far enough and were pretty angry. 
So it's funny, like most of like the like middle, just like seems great, seems good. Most of the climate people I know who work on this were pretty excited. I that should tell you something. I always get yeah. nervous though when there's like we're spending an enormous amount of money, and I never know like how much to care about debt. <laughs> like no one does, Ross. <laughs> no like, one does because these numbers are also so big that you have no way of relating to like mm-hmm. how much is too much and why. You're like, once you're like, it's like multiple years of GDP, you're like, good for climate. Like, why not just tack on to the bill? I have no way of knowing. Well, when should we stop spending? Is there a point? Should we just be in debt forever? I'm this bill does reduce the deficit, monster. Ross. This, does, this bill does reduce the deficit. So that's good. For the, the deficit bill? hawk on this call. Yeah. How could it possibly? They raise taxes more than they added spending. Some people like on more to the left would would find that to be too moderate an approach, you know, say, why not just spend more, you know, but Manchin kind of put the brakes on and didn't want to, he wanted it to be deficit reducing. He's like, also, we can spend a lot, but we also have to raise taxes on, on corporations, basically. So it's basically getting the tech industry and the finance industry to pay for more renewable energy. Yeah, I think that brings it kind of, again, I guess I read the New York Times article. So if I'm, if this is not a fun topic for you guys. No, let's let's do we're desperately in need of something. Let's let's speculate wildly. <laughs> let's speculate wildly about this article. But you know, pointing to the fact that like the $60 price per ton of captured CO2 up from 35, and kind of the whole economics around, you know, now that solar and wind and, and renewable energy has become so affordable, do these measures around capturing um, emissions make sense financially, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of went back to that podcast with Julio Friedman when he was talking about CCS. And I think I told you, Ross, like I was never against CCS, but I was always, you know, skeptical. And I feel like that listening to Julio Friedman on that podcast brought in a lot of new information and data points for me. And one of the most important being that a lot of CCS in the US is used in like industrial heating. So like creation of steel and whatnot, not necessarily. We think of it exclusively on like coal and natural gas power plants, right? That's kind of, I think, the image we conjure to mind when we talk about CCS. But that actually, there's other sectors that are tricky or expensive to decarbonize. And that's where a lot of the CCS is happening. I mean, clearly, I need to learn more about this. But I just felt like, I don't know, there's a lot of nuance. And we should bring on some CCS experts to answer our questions. The group of people who are like really well informed about carbon removal and talk about it a lot, I feel like there's a growing bias towards like high durability and high permanence and a bias, growing bias against like quote, you know, natural solutions. And I think that's pros and cons on both sides, but that's just really interesting that like that sort of, there's like that intellectual bias. And then like in reality, where you actually see money from like the offset markets and even like government spending going is like almost, and like corporate net zero plans, like is almost all towards like natural solutions that like don't meet those durability criteria set up by like various like think tanks and nonprofits and corporate, like, uh, you know, frontier and stuff. I don't know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I just find that interesting that like among certain thinkers, it's like durability, durability, durability. But then in like, when you go out into like, where's the money actually flowing? For now, it seems like very much towards like forestry and agriculture solutions. But I wonder if the two aren't related. I think you bring up a good point, but I think that 
part of the reason academics and people that like study this and are really getting into durability and permanence is because they're seeing a market that is flooded with arguably low cost, oftentimes low quality, although I'm certainly not saying that, you know, reforestation or that all nature-based solutions are low quality because there's terrific high quality projects on the market. But I think maybe that's almost why there's this kind of bias is because it's kind of the pendulum counteracting the current market space. That's just one theory, but I do think that they seem to kind of line up. Yeah, I could see that. I think historically you're trying to overcome like decades of just plant a tree and that sort of like reasoning or even still like recently the trillion tree initiative Mm. that was a popular force i can see there being a pretty strong swing against that Um, we've been thinking a lot about how to get the tenure accounting right and if and how to use a discount rate and and what this should actually look like so you can make comparisons against carbon removals with different durabilities but also still have a commodity market scale i find the like writing out of less durable carbon removal and not, not, not only writing it out, or another way of saying this is essentially saying it's not carbon removal. I feel like the exclusion here is saying that this is not right. carbon removal. I've seen some articles on this recently, too. I don't know that that's really that helpful, frankly. Also, if you, if you only count the durable solutions, we're never getting anywhere close to having a meaningful number, are we? It'll be a lot harder. Like lot if you don't count, harder. if you don't like try and use that stuff, like how, do you even get anywhere close? Have you played the uh, Road to 10 Gigatons game? I'm sure you have. because uh, John's game? John's yeah. game, yeah. <laughs> Terrific game. Shout out to John, as always, on the pod. We should just like play that live and talk about yes. it. That would that's be a great, great thing to do. Ross, yeah. that's what we need. John's yes, coming we on. play that live and talk yeah. about it. Because I feel like that, although rooted in this idea of this kind of like lighthearted game, the Road to 10 Gigatons, although it's rooted kind of in this lighthearted you know, gamification of, of information, I think it's really illuminating. And as you're playing it, you understand, you know, the different land use restrictions or energy restrictions on different methods. And it kind of advocates for the idea of a portfolio of carbon removal. And so I really, certainly at Bank for 10, we talk a lot about trying to be very agnostic. And I think as a team, we are pretty agnostic and that we do think all additional removals are worth pursuing to certain degrees, right? But again, I, I would think like I often, I'm not against nature preservation at all. I think we need to pay for nature preservation, but I see a huge problem in like the fact that 95% of credits are avoidance, for example. And so I might, to put myself in the shoes of maybe like the academics who are on the durability scale, I look at the avoidance credits and I say, oh, there's a problem in the market so I'm like constantly advocating for removals as opposed to avoidance. And maybe there's a similar dynamic where there's kind of carbon movers are like, oh, wow, the market has so many nature-based solutions. We need to advocate more. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. One thing I've been thinking about a lot, though, and I've been thinking about this for years, is I don't know that like 50 years or 100 years from now, I don't even think even that close, I don't think permanence right there matters that much assuming that you think the cost curve is going to keep getting cheaper and cheaper to store like and then those decades we'll see amazing technological growth they have to or we're in big trouble so like isn't removing carbon for that duration of time like more valuable because of the discount rate too like those tons for the next 30 40 50 years are more valuable than hundreds or thousands of years 
Well, that's a frequent, that's a frequent yeah. argument, I think, is, yeah, the immediacy, the immediacy of a lot of nature-based solutions, which I actually think we don't even really say nature-based solutions anymore. I think that's kind of becoming passe to this whole idea that there's tech and nature and hybrid. I think now we're more just thinking of it in terms of like, well, they're all have some level of, of tech involvement and human involvement. And so we should just maybe call them all removals. And then, yeah, tenure accounting matters. And we have to figure out how to balance you know, shorter term removals with longer term removals, et cetera. I don't yeah. know. Do you guys think that that's becoming passe to say like nature versus tech? What do people say now? It's all hybrids? Yeah. There's some sort of amalgamation. I mean, I don't know. Kara was saying something about this recently about how like they're not really using that terminology anymore. I feel like the phrase nature-based solutions is like a bit of a cope. Like it's a bit of like makes you feel good. You know what I mean? Like I feel like there's a lot of like environmental groups or like activists you see they're like against against carbon removal and maybe even like against offset markets and like certainly against like you know technological carbon removal but then like it just sounds warm and fuzzy to be like it's a nature-based solution to climate change like what could be wrong we'll like plant trees and we'll rehab the ecosystems and we'll all go back to organic agriculture and be so wonderful and like it uh it's just not not that easy and not that simple and i feel like the like as I, I don't know, I just I I guess uh, sometimes it rubs me the wrong way when I see people saying that, like selling the concept of a nature based solution as if it's like that simple. When like you're saying, Siobhan, there's like a ton of technology and intervention that's required to like get the benefits that you can from different agricultural practices or like forestry practices that can deliver like carbon removal and can deliver a lot of other benefits. But it's not just like we do nothing and nature just like wins and takes back over, you know, it's like, it's hard stuff and it requires chemistry to like do the, the soil sampling and it requires all this different, you know, it's just, it requires technology too, I guess what I'm trying to rant about. It's just marketing language then for you. Yeah. I think the tendency to push back against this discount rate thinking that, yeah, it's been going on for a long time. And I've been mulling this one over chewing out for a long time too is, I think even if there was a good faith, I think that argument is true, given certain assumptions about technological development. I think a ton, ton removed for 50 years is worth more in some ways than one for longer. I would rather have more of those tons removed for shorter time than one ton for longer. But even saying that, I know people will use that same logic to fund spurious avoidance and offset projects using the same logic. So if your objection is practical rather than more ideological, then I'm sympathetic to that. Cause I certainly think my logic will be used by people less scrupulous. I don't even know how much of it do you think that even is impacting how people are thinking about this? Like, am I onto something with that or no? I think you're definitely right. No, I think you bring up a good point that so much of carbon removal and how we think about it and how we deploy it has to be from a place of, of academic rigor. And whether that academic rigor is natural reforestation as opposed to mono cropping or different, you know, these different things, whatever it is, I think it has to go come from a place of like, as the best scientific rigor we can bring to the table. And I think you're right that there are some less, you know, scrupulous actors that will, will take advantage of that. But I don't think you're wrong, Ross. I think you're, I think you're dead on. Yeah. I mean, saw the criticism of NCX for this and other places where it's like, if you're doing this by yearly accounting and like, cool, you delayed a tree from being harvested for a single year. It's so like that avoided an emission for a year. Cool. 
can you like pull that all the way down? Cool, cool, cool. And that's like what people are objecting. I feel like if I say this, because we were also interested in 10 year stuff. And so I want to talk with the NCX. So maybe my even saying this will have their ears burning. So they'll come, they'll come hang. Zach, I'm looking at you. You can come hang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was one of the criticisms, right? They're saying like, okay, so you've taken this 10 year thing to an additional order of magnitude less. So rather than 10 years of permanence, we're talking about one year multiplied many times. Like how valuable is that? I'm sure we'll see some that are even less rigorous even less rigorous. I'm not even trying to say anything bad about NCX here. I'm sure you'll did see- Did Carbon Removal Newsroom do like a 10-year accounting thing recently? I feel like they did. We did. I feel like I heard it. With uh, Brody Caballo and John D. So I think are both at UC Berkeley. And I'll just give a little confirmation. But yeah, it was- Yeah, I think- Great episode. I really liked that episode. And I think there is enough- fodder and content there that would be worth bringing it'd be worth doing something a follow-up thing whether it's on crm and radica kicks ass and does it or whether we do it here in kind of like a little more of a casual style or something i feel like i'm curious about it i know other people are curious about it too and that was a great episode but I, it was definitely one of those episodes where i was like having to kind of rewind and re-listen because it was dense it was, it was higher dense, on- there was a lot i was trying to absorb it was higher on the geek scale for sure yeah, which I appreciate, but you know, there's probably that means I want I want I want more. That wasn't enough, you know. What if we get Radhika on here and she could kind of give it to us in more layman's terms? <laughs> yeah, Radhika. Or also, we have uh, we just hired Rick Berg, who does is our methodology analyst, and he's been crunching these numbers and working quite hard on figuring out how to make this work. Cool. I would love to. I would love to ask him some questions that I'm genuinely curious about. You need you need graphs, basically. I feel like you really need to see the curves and how they look and how it changes based upon how many certificates are issued for how many years and how this affects. And it isn't, it isn't just scientific logic either. There's also business logic about suppliers fight also about some of them say that their lithospheric carbon is good for thousands of years. So do you give them actually thousands of years of credit? We'll all be long dead, I assume. Unless something magical happens. There are many other like services that we pay someone to do to do something a thousand years from now. No, there's not that many. I can't. Is there is there a single one actually? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I just I think this is bringing up some interesting some interesting discussion topics. So be worth digging into more. And and like on a surface, because I understand this is like a topic that you could spend a dissertation on you know it's like a really dense topic but it'd be fun if we could somehow bring it to a level that an audience could get the gist of it without having to rewind multiple times as i was doing thanks for listening bye bye thanks everyone bye sounds good all right goodbye Thank you so much for listening. If you could please subscribe and give us a great rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify, that'd be much appreciated. It helps us get our content out to more people. You can sign up for our newsletter at nori.com, follow us on social media, and we will catch you next time.